Welcome to Time in the Market, a podcast that profiles investors and their journeys. Time in the Market is brought to you by Shareholder Vote Exchange, the world's first marketplace for shareholder voting rights. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment advice. Please enjoy the show. Hello and good morning. Today we have Nicholas from Heavy Moat Investments on. Uh, Nicholas has a CK Alpha, a Substack, and perhaps more. Nicholas, how's it going? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well. Nice meeting you. And I'm Thanks. looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. So first off, would you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction to uh, all of the different places you publish your content, as well as maybe just uh, a little bit about yourself as a creator? Yeah, sure. So I primarily publish on three places. This is uh, Twitter or X if you want. That is my, I would say, my my biggest platform. Then I also publish uh, frequently or yeah, relatively frequently on Seeking Alpha. And I also have a Substack, as you already mentioned, which I mostly use for like my monthly updates regarding my portfolio and also just uh, smaller topics I want to address that aren't like big enough or fleshed out enough or just just quick takes that wouldn't make it on or wouldn't be the right audience on Seeking Alpha. I see. That's that's interesting. I guess uh, Seeking Alpha has a more editorialized yeah. uh, process. Versus... Yeah, so if I just want to have like a quick take, I don't want to be stuck like at minimum half a day with editors to wait for them getting back to me. So I just publish on, Seek, uh, on Substack in the meantime. I see. That makes a lot of sense. So I know you're a self-taught investor, just like myself. Uh, our listeners want to listen to your story. So how how did you you know go into the field of investing, and how did you arrive at your style, which I'm guessing is is very moody, wide moat yeah. companies? <laughs> yeah. So I am uh, 24 years right now. I started getting into the stock market in 2020, as a lot of people did when I was. 20, 21, I think. Yeah, should be 21. I initially started out just because I got out of, I was still in university, but I had a a friend who took a subject, subject with, which, which was basically uh, financial management, where we also like had a, uh, a demo portfolio, which we managed for half a year. And I basically started to just chat with him about the whole thing and kind of got obsessed with it and yeah so basically i spent the remaining part of the semester like a few hours every day studying markets and all that stuff and getting into it um my style did develop quite a bit in the beginning it was mostly as a lot of people do uh kind of the headless chicken approach basically just buying things you know and just trying stuff out so that did not go as well, but I mean, it was 2020, so everything kind of worked. Then we got into 2021 and I kind of got pulled into the whole growth stock thing and kind of did burn myself quite a lot. So I did hold a lot of like traditional like dividend blue chip things like Coca-Cola or uh, Colgate, Palmolive and just boring stuff like that. And then I decided to switch over to growth when growth was not at its peak, but close to its peak. And I also 
decided that China would be a good place to invest in also at a pretty high level. So those were two pretty, uh, pretty costly lessons. <laughs> but I learned a lot of things about valuation and about uh, risks, especially with uh, also political risk, which was not so great having like 30% of my portfolio in China when the whole uh, tech crackdown happened mm. on Tencent, Alibaba and JD and the others. So yeah, that was the phase where I was heavily into growth and, and China. And after that, I think it was like pretty much at the end of the bull market around November uh, 2021. When I started to go more into like, yeah, let's say quality compounder type companies. So basically like uh, you could say a, a, like a wide mode company if you use the Morningstar terminology. So that has been what I have been uh, using as my style ever since. But But even regardless, my style did develop because I also tried to go uh, into lower market caps in recent months. So that has been my most recent development. I had quite a lot of big tech actually in at the end of 2022, when big tech was uh, like when nobody wanted to own it. So I have been moving out of that because I just noticed for myself that I am not too comfortable with very popular stocks. I just am not a big fan of the whole, uh, like all the noise around it. And like, if you take like, for example, Microsoft, everybody has an opinion on it. And I just prefer holding uh, companies that are not on the radar as much, or at least like, yes, yeah, also smaller companies. But yeah, I mean, there are, are, are exceptions, of course, but generally I try to go for less known companies. I, that's that's interesting. I remember when I was at Morningstar, uh, there was someone who said, everyone knows consumer and technology. So the analysts on the consumer team and the technology team uh, would have a harder time in their research because people would say, oh, why do you think that? And obviously yeah. it's this way. <laughs> so if I'm, I'm curious, so if you uh, only published or only did stock research for yourself and didn't make it public, would you feel the same? about not wanting to own mega cap names? Yeah, I don't think there is a big uh, difference between what I talk about and what I own. I mean, I, I still own Amazon, which is my largest uh, largest cap. Besides that, I have like, I think four more companies above 100 billion. But besides that, I've been moving lower. But that has been more a development of my own investment portfolio and not so much just what I want to write about. I don't think there is that much of a difference. It does get a little tricky if you get into like nano caps and all that stuff. Uh, the smallest company I have right now is like 300 million. So it gets kind of tough writing about those if you still want to like have an audience. But I, I feel like the small and mid-cap range is still pretty pretty good for that. So I can still write about it without like talking to myself, basically. Mm, interesting. I, I thought you were going to say, if the company gets too small, then it looks like you're pumping the stock. <laughs> uh, but I guess 300 I'm, I'm million... I'm not big enough yet. 
<laughs> maybe one day your your audience will be uh, uh will will rally the stock uh, on your announcements. So I I too actually had a pretty big allocation to China uh, when the reopening was was coming. Unfortunately, that didn't really play out. But um, investing in China has been uh, just very fraught for for a large number of reasons.、Uh, yeah. Like technically speaking, of course,、uh, Chinese companies、uh, are not able to be purchased by Western investors. So all of them, of course, have the Cayman Islands entity or an entity abroad that、uh, that is the one that's being publicly listed in the states. And then that public entity that's、uh, not in China has the same economic rights to the one that's in China, but kind of this pass-through nature. Has some investors startled slash concerned? Yeah, what what really pushed me over the edge was when、uh, Tencent and Alibaba announced their 100 billion、uh, RMB charity、uh, incentive or whatever it was. Basically,、uh, I mean, basically like a 100 billion RMB additional tax, in my opinion. So, if I want to invest in a company, then I don't want to have. A political risk like that、uh, overhanging it, so yeah, that was basically the point where it was like, no, I'm out. 100 billion RMB as a、yeah. tax or as a as a、yeah. one-time fine.、Uh, yeah, I、whatever. think it was five years or something as a、uh, voluntary donation, but yeah,、mm-hmm. you can interpret what you want into that, but yeah, <laughs> that's really interesting. Everything that you've said so far, I think one thing that.、Uh, Speaks my interest about you and your writing is you actually write quite a bit. Your CK Alpha, I think, has over a hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty articles. Is that、yeah. is that correct? Yeah, let me check. I think it's like one one hundred thirty or something. Yeah, one hundred thirty actually. That's really impressive because CK Alpha articles, of course, are relatively long form as well. What is your creative process like? How do you go about? Um, choosing a company, a stock to write about, and、um, uh, is there a reason that,、uh, uh, yeah, is there like a specific bend or focus?、Mm. So I generally generally try to use the approach which was、uh, I think first termed by、uh, Monish Pabrai, which is the the shameless the shameless cloner. So I believe that、uh, screening is not the way to go. At least for me, it isn't. So a lot of my um, my uh, process of finding new companies is basically scrolling Twitter through、uh, profiles that I know have a similar investing style, or generally people that I know do quality work. So that's like the first hurdle I mostly use, and basically just reading. You often come across names. And that has been better for me than screening. Screening can be tough because if you go for like deep value screens, you often end up with value traps that have been above a cyclical peak or something like that. And often, if you、uh, try to find good companies, for example, based on free cash flow yields, you can have situations where、uh, working capital changes are temporarily、uh, depressing the,、uh, the the cash flows, and then they fall out of the screen. So. So that actually happened quite a bit, at least last year, with the whole supply chain disruptions across the world. So I really have not used screening a lot, 
And the best alternative, in my opinion, is cloning. And yeah, the problem with cloning is if people like take it literally and clone positions without doing the work. If I clone the position, then I like get a like get a grasp of the basic investment case and then do my own work. That's uh, what I always would recommend as well. Never like follow somebody in a position. That's always a recipe for disaster. I actually really like the term that Monish Fabry coined. Yeah, shameless cloner is, is uh, yeah. such a good thing. And I agree with you. The risk to, to the shameless cloning strategy is laziness. Just because someone else thinks something doesn't mean you should think it too. But it's a great yeah. place to start. For yourself, how have you learned different industries? Uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, everyone thinks they know consumer and technology, but, you know, some of the more bespoke industries like oil and gas, or maybe like hardcore technology, maybe on the semiconductor side, or something like biotech or life sciences can get very much in the weeds. So what industries would you say you uh, maybe quote, quote unquote specialize in uh, and which ones have you avoided thus far? I've been avoiding a few uh, industries which I just don't like personally. One of them is banks and also uh, fossil fuels. Banks because I hate the leverage they use and fossil fuels because I don't know how the, the future will work and generally energy is not something I, I really understand well. What I have been focusing a lot on rate lately is industrials and I also have a few positions in semiconductors, also some retail and distribution. So those and also like some Im information technology, because as we said, everybody understands it. <laughs> I generally don't really look for companies based on industries. I mostly just look for companies which I find by, by cloning. When I find an interesting company, I try to understand what the tailwinds are of the industry. That's basically something I always want to have. The company, uh, the, the industry should have some, some secular tailwind. So that's a good place to start, in my opinion. And from there, I then, I mean, often you can learn a lot of it from what the company presents on their own presentations. And often that is a good first step and then just... You can look for more information on the topic, but most of the time I feel like the general like long-term secular trends are pretty clear. And yeah, for example, on semiconductors, if you if we take uh, um, automotive content and uh, semiconductor content and automotives, there is a pretty clear trend on from a lot of directions that leads to higher content. For example, in infotainment systems and more uh, assistance systems, and generally just um, like also EVs take a lot more semis. So there are just lots of trends that end up forming a tailwind, and that's basically what I try to focus on. I see. So besides what management would give you in the investment relations uh, pitch deck or 10K and all the SEC filings, uh, are there any uh, particular sources you like to look at for alternative pieces of information? Not really. I basically just uh, Google 
uh, and and see where I land. <laughs> I see. I don't have too many sources there because, uh, yeah, I often go from uh, to a lot of different industries because I don't really focus on it. So you land in many different places. So yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, for me personally, I like to look at, um, I guess you would say alternative sources of public. Uh, perceptions. So Glassdoor is yeah, a really that, good one. That's a good one, yeah. And then I also like to look at Reddit uh, to see what people think of the company uh, and or their products um, from from like a user's point of view. Um, this this can be mixed, of course, because if a bunch of people say, oh, I love the product, it's a great price, then it might mean the company's under-earning or if a person says, oh, I pay so much for it, I hate it, but they keep using it, that means the product is really sticky. So uh, it kind of cuts both ways, what people say on Reddit. But for me, I, I kind of just, I want to see uh, what people are saying, and then I can make my own assessment from there. Yeah, the Reddit approach is interesting. I, most of the time, invest in B2B companies. So you don't get as much noise from the consumer about that. But yeah, that's something I haven't really thought about too much. But yeah, Glassdoor is, is definitely a good uh, starting point to get a basic understanding of the culture of a company. Always hard to to uh, like to see if the culture is actually as the company tries to pitch it. But Glassdoor is a, a good step for for judging that. Absolutely. And on Glassdoor, the last time I checked, uh, there's a section where there's a bunch of stars uh, next to attributes like culture and transparency and management, something like that. If you click on that chart, there's, uh, sorry, if you click on that table, there's a chart that pops up. It's a time series of how the ratings have gone over time. Mm -hmm. I think it only goes back two years or so, but uh, typically speaking, uh, you can glean a lot of information from from how the ratings have changed over yeah. the past two years. Um, one thing I also like to look at is the definitive proxy statement. Uh, that's mm. usually the uh, DEF 14A filing. Proxy statements have gotten uh, crazy long in the past decade or so. I mean, they're oftentimes like 50 to 100 pages. I like to look at the uh, ownership information in particular. I think what insiders own is is really important because it shows they have skin in the game. Of course, yeah. I think you should look at it relative to the average CEO's net worth as opposed to the percentage because you know 5% of a, uh, a billion or trillion dollar company is, uh, is actually quite a bit. No one insider will own that unless they're the founder. Yeah, I I tried. I, I like to look at proxies as well. I think it's they are pretty underrated still with investors. Uh, what I like to look at in proxies are three things, which is uh, of course the ownership percentage. Insider ownership is actually one of my KPIs which I track for my portfolio. Then I also look at the payment mix, so which uh, how much of the executive compensation is uh, tied to goals. And is at risk beside uh, compared to what is just the basic cash salary. And then I also look at the uh, drill down into the compensation structure. 
So what are the uh, the goals that have to be hit? What kind of metrics does the company use? Are the options that are being used uh, time-vested or is it based on goals? All that kind of stuff. You can read a lot of things uh, in the proxy statement. And yeah, I think a lot of the incentive that management has also is written there, basically. Yeah, on that point, uh, I think one reason the U.S. has gone through such a bust in the oil and gas sector uh, in basically the 2000s of the aughts and the teens is because of management's incentives. Uh, executive compensation was tied to how much oil was being taken out of the ground at a particular mm -hmm. company, as opposed to free cash flow or operating earnings or whatever. So that really incentivized management to increase CapEx and excess supply uh, resulted. So that's great to, to know uh, uh, there are at least two pairs of eyes on every proxy <laughs> statement. Yeah, I, I don't think you should invest in a company without reading it. And yeah, compensation structure is something I hadn't really looked at too much in the past, past meaning before uh, 2022. So that has been a a growing uh, part of my research and especially the compensation part. And often it is also like, like if you have companies where the CEO has a lot of skin in the game, let's say like 3% of the company, then they will act differently. They won't just go for the bonus most of the time. At least that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I guess let's shift gears uh, a little bit to you as a content creator. So I guess I never asked this, but is there a reason you wanted to publicly uh, to share your research and uh, start your Substack, Twitter, and CK Alpha? Yeah, so I basically started uh, my Twitter account right around the time I started to invest. So that was, uh, I think it was May 2020. And I just wanted uh, a tool to, to learn more. And I think a good way to learn is to talk about it. And I realized that there is a lot of talk about uh, companies on Twitter, especially with the cash tags and all that. You get a pretty easy way to access uh, opinions from people. Of course, there's a lot of uh, noise out there, especially with people who have different strategies. Like if I put in a, a cash tag, for example, Microsoft, I will get a lot of people who will do like technical technical analysis and trade the next five days or next five minutes. I don't care about that. So there's a lot of there was a lot of learning trying to find the people that actually resonate with me. But basically that was the way I started. Wasn't really with the intention of ever like making it a bigger thing or so. And then around the beginning of 2022, when I had a following of around, I think it was like 5,000 people on Twitter, something like that, uh, a few thousand at least, I started to uh, write more deep thoughts and threats on, on earnings and stuff like that. And eventually I got contacted by somebody from Seeking Alpha asking me if I want to try out their platform to uh, share my content. And yeah, I tried that and I liked it. I especially like that I don't have any quotas to hit. I am completely independent. I just write about whatever I want, if I want. 
The only thing that I have to do is like adhere to the policies, of course, and get through the ed editorial process. So that has been, uh, yeah, for the last almost two years, what I've been doing. And then around half a year later, I started as well to write on Substack for uh, monthly updates on my portfolio. Because like I don't have enough portfolio changes every month to justify an article about it. At least I don't think I it would justify it. So that's why I use Substack for that. And then also, as I said, uh, some some smaller thoughts and quicker takes that I also published there. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you have any future plans for uh, the places that you publish on? Uh, so I know you have a full-time job uh, these mm -hmm. days, uh, and then you do this on the side as a hobby. Uh, could you see yourself dedicating more time to being an investor and writing about it in the future? Yeah, that's a question I have asked myself quite a bit, but I haven't really come to an answer yet. The thing I fear is that eventually it could get like too much like a job and would kind of kill the joy of it. That's why I kind of am opposed to joining a fund or something like that or trying to join a fund. Because like uh, if I like am put into the role of analyzing a like fully focusing on a single industry, I think it could get, yeah, too much like a job and too little like the, the hobby I have right now. So maybe I could see myself uh, scaling what I do right now. But yeah, I'll I'll see what it, where it takes me. I've okay. been doing this for three years so far. Let's see where I am in then in another three years. And yeah, yeah, makes sense. I think it's really impressive uh, the cadence and the consistency that you've published at. 130 articles on CK Alpha is no joke. Uh, we have writers <laughs> here at Shareholder Vote Exchange, and uh, they turn out uh, they turn out about one every week or so. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they're doing, they're dedicating quite a bit of time to this. That's great to hear. And then to close off, uh, I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Um, so just give me the first thing that kind of comes to your mind. Uh, you don't have to think about it too hard. Uh, it's just for fun. So uh, do you have a favorite investor? If so, who? Uh probably would be like uh terry smith from fundsmith like that's probably the closest to to my investing style although i do still have a i don't agree with all he does like he invests in some businesses i wouldn't invest in and i think in recent years he hasn't been too consistent on his uh his mantra of not overpaying but yeah that's generally i think uh, fundsmith is a pretty good example of quality yeah, I think maybe in recent years, because the fund size has grown bigger, yeah. the the sets of opportunities has also shrunk. So um, to boot, uh, I think it makes sense why valuation has been one of the levers that was sacrificed. Okay, um, uh, do you have a uh, uh, do you know of a underrated investor, someone who doesn't have a lot of coverage? Um, and is, is has a very low profile, but you think that more people should hear about? Hmm. I mean, there are lots of people I follow, but nobody like comes to mind uh, right now. 
But I think Twitter is a good place to find uh, really uh, great people to follow. Especially uh, going into smaller market caps, there are lots of people with just a few hundred followers that make very good takes. So just searching cash tags on Twitter can be a, a good source to find uh, underrated people. That makes sense. Um, who are two or three content creators uh, that you personally follow and uh, you personally think deserve a little hat tip? <laughs> Um, on top of that would probably be uh, Leandro from InvestQuotes. I've been good friends with him for quite a while. So that would probably be my, my uh, number one. And then there's also yeah, actually one of the underrated accounts uh, called Bank for the Risk Investing. He is a smaller Twitter account with 2,000 followers talking a lot about companies with high returns on capital and durable growth. And I've had a lot of good conversations with him. So that's one to check out as well. Maybe one day we'll have uh, these guys on the podcast as well. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, to close, um, what is uh, one of your worst investments that you've made? Maybe it's in China, but uh, maybe it's something else. Mm, yeah, the worst investment, uh, pretty obviously, is Teladoc, which I, was one of those growth investments I got obsessed about in 2021. In hindsight, there were lots of red flags, and I, I wrote about it in, I think, two articles. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of mistakes I wouldn't do again. I, Luckily, with a, a lot less capital, still being in university. I made it 15% of my portfolio at one point. And I think since then, it, the stock fell by 80%. So as they say, uh, what's the difference between a stock down 80% and 90%, another 50% drop. The company has basically collapsed and I have taken a lot of things from it. A lot of valuable lessons. And I hope that I won't make that kind of mistake again, especially with that kind of position sizing. Hopefully we can move on to something even brighter and you can redeem yourself with this next and last question. What is one of your best investments uh, that you'd like to share? Uh, the best one probably is going heavily into big tech at the end of last year, beginning of, beginning of this year. So even though I don't, don't own, own all of them anymore, I made Microsoft, Amazon and I made those like 10% of my portfolio and Google also 8%. And then all, all of them ran up pretty pretty nicely this year. I mean, if you take away big tech, I think the S&P is flat. And yeah, it's kind of crazy how much of an impact big tech had this year. But that probably was my my best investment so far, especially with the position sizing. Right. A lot of market pundits have called the rally in 2023 uh, a narrow rally in that mm, just yeah. a narrow set of stocks. I think something like 10% of the stocks have really driven the bulk of the rally. Yeah, um, especially given that the S&P is uh, market cap weighted. Like if, if Microsoft does 40% and Amazon does 50%, Meta does like 150% in a year, then that pulls up the index a lot more than like 100 companies at 2 billion valuation being flat. Exactly, exactly. And um, 
uh, lucky you, uh, you had exposure to a lot of big tech. So yeah, sadly, uh, I sold sold them off too early. <laughs> hey, but uh, I mean, time in the market beats yeah. time in the market. So, okay. All right. Well, Nicholas, this was a, a pleasure to have you on. Where can readers find you? Uh, what are all of the different uh, handles and links that you have? Yeah, basically, you can find me on uh, on all three platforms. So uh, Twitter, Seeking Alpha, and Substack under Heavy Mode Investments. Okay, well, that's easy enough. Well, <laughs> thank you once again, Nicholas, and um, have a great day. Yeah, thanks for having me.